If you have that passage open in front of you in Acts chapter 3, and as we've said, we're rejoicing this morning in the work of God in Aaron's life, and that he is a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we've heard that testimony concerning his coming to saving faith by the grace of God, and as he is baptized, it will be a lovely picture of what God has done. And also us as a church affirming that, and uh, standing with him as a brother in the Lord. And here in the book of Acts, we see many being brought to that trust in the Lord Jesus and being brought into the church. And if you look at Acts 2, towards the end, you'll see that that takes place. 3,000 are converted, their lives are changed, and they're not only brought to faith in the Savior, but they're brought together as part of the Lord's people. And uh, they love the Lord, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer, and they love one another. And there's a unity amongst them, which is how it should be amongst the brethren. And so it is for Aaron, not only has the Lord brought him to saving faith, but also he rejoiced that the Lord has brought him to be part of the fellowship here at Clarence And then it's interesting because in Acts 3, were brought outside of the church back into the world and to this lame man. And so you've got this great contrast which is brought before us. And you know, many of us would sort of have an appreciation of that. It's true, you know, maybe we've been in a, a situation where we've experienced, you know, that preciousness of fellowship, of, of being under the word of God, of being together, and then we go back into the world. And there's a great contrast. And so... As we come to this, we need to look at the lessons that we can learn from the account of this lame man. And I want you to see, first and foremost, that this this man's condition is also a spiritual picture for us of our own condition. Now, just some background. We're told that this man is lame from birth. He had never walked. His legs had never been strong enough to carry him. He could not stand on his own. He was totally crippled. He had no job, he had no prospects. The only thing he could do was to beg. And so some of his friends would carry him down every day and place him beside a a gate of the temple in Jerusalem called the Gate Beautiful. And they'd leave him there. And uh, the man would hope that people as they went past would drop him some coins and take pity upon him. And day by day, week by week, for years... He would be hoping that temple goers would take pity on him and be generous towards his condition. Now, it's interesting. If you look at the account in verse 1, it tells us that it was the ninth hour. That's around uh, 3 p.m. in the, the Jewish time frame in the afternoon. So it's after the heat of the noonday sun and also at the time in the Jewish arrangement of worship when many would go to the temple to pray. So in that sense, from a begging point of view, it was a, a peak opportunity You know, there was good footfall and and the possibility of people in a mindset to give and to help. But as I said, this account of this man gives us a very vivid spiritual picture of the misery that people are in without the Lord Jesus Christ. It is typical of the way that people are in this broken world. You know, people without God who never come to know him, never come to be worshippers of him, they're in a miserable state. They may not know it, but sooner or later they will discover that life in this world without Jesus Christ is miserable. You know, let me suggest to you some typical characteristics of the lives of all men and women in the world without God. 
Firstly, there's the misery of boredom. You know, can you imagine what it must have been like for this man to have been dumped, crippled at the gate for hour after hour, day after day? You know, the only change might have been, you know, a, a wild dog coming round to sniff him or, you know, more or less money at the end of the day. Just a, a sad, sad experience in a broken world. You know, but there is a, a boredom in this too. You know, they're just the, the same thing. And for many, life is like that. That's why the pubs, the clubs, they thrive and flourish because life without God is essentially, inherently boring and empty. And so people need stimulants. They need the next thing. They need the next experience. They, they need something to, to fill that gaping hole in their lives. You know, people say often, don't they, oh, I've got that, that Monday morning feeling. You know, they've tried to fill the weekend with all manner of things to occupy, to escape, to, to stimulate, but then it's back to, you know, the same old thing, Monday, the mundane. And they want the, the Friday feeling, as it were, to try and get away from it all and, and enjoy themselves and spend the money that they've earned to escape the boredom. They don't like to admit it, but the reality is the highs might last for a moment, but then reality bites because life without God is essentially boring and empty. And then there's the misery of being crippled. You know, there was nothing that this man could do. He was crippled. If danger came near, there was no way he could run from it. And we're told at the very moment when Peter and John, the servants of God, came along to go into the temple, these friends were literally at the point of carrying this poor man and laying him down. And that would be it. He'd be stuck, unable to do anything else. You know, that's the way people without the Lord Jesus are. Spiritually crippled. You know, they, they cannot enter into or enjoy the things of God. They've got no pleasure in him. They've no thought or, or love for the Bible or worship. You know, they, they might endure it if they're forced to, to come along, but, but they don't want those things. Don't have any desire for them because spiritually they're crippled with no faith, no ability to come to God. And then also there's the, the misery of having no hope. You know, we live in a world without hope. You know, we, we see that in this man. This was his life. He'd expected to be crippled for the rest of his life. The same thing each and every day. And no doubt on this morning, he pulled on the few rags that he had. And, you know, whatever he collected the money in, made sure he had that. And his friends came at the regular time to carry him to the temple. But he had no idea about the wonderful change that was about to take place in his life. You see, at that moment, he was without hope. And as far as he knew, all he could look forward to was begging Poverty, isolation, living off the pity of others. No hope. And you know, the worldly man's life is a life of hopelessness. You know, you, you listen to people's views on, on what will come when they die. And there's all this sort of vague idea and such uncertainty over the future. You know, some try to be optimistic and say, oh, well, we're, we're going on to a better place. And we'll be reunited with all our loved ones and all those things. And then there are those who just deny that there's anything after death. You know, this is it. You know, it's just, just a nothingness. And the only way we'll exist is in people's memories. It's tragic. And that hopelessness is seen in the way that people are just living for the now. They've got to make the most of this miserable life now because it's all they think they've got. And that's without them even contemplating life after death, heaven or hell. And if there is a heaven, they don't know how to get there. 
And so the unconverted person, crippled by sin, with an inability to do anything spiritual, an inability to love God, to know God, no prayer in their life, no, no hope after death. And the Bible describes the person outside of Jesus Christ like this. They are strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You know, if you're not a believer this morning, my dear friend, I'm speaking to you. This is your life. The Bible holds up a mirror to each and every one of us and shows us the reality of it, not what we are projecting it to be. And this is how God describes our life, to be miserable in sin, without hope, unable to to know him or to love him. That is the state of things. And then we ask the question, well, in the light of that, what has the, the Christian church got to offer the world? Now, notice what happens. This poor man, what does he want? Well, he's looking for money. And as Peter and John come along, he's hoping to receive something from them. Perhaps there was something about them that that made him think he had a a good opportunity to to ask them for a contribution. You know, have you got anything to spare? And then verse 5, he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. You see, he, he calls out to Peter and John, and Peter tells the man to look at them, And so he looks and he's expecting that there's going to be a a drop of the coin. But then he gets this answer. Silver and gold I do not have. Well, in that moment, no doubt his heart must have sunk. But then, what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know, this man lying there crippled in need and he looks to the Lord's people for help as they come along, what have they got? You know, there's such an important lesson here in what the terms of the the true church of Jesus Christ, what are we here to do? You know, it is something unique that only the church of Christ can do and can offer to spiritually crippled men and women. Now, let me be clear, there's nothing wrong with trying to help people practically. And we must, you know, to to offer help and to, to want to meet people's needs You know, and to do all of those things, that demonstrates our care and our concern, something of the love of Christ that's good in its place and it's necessary. But that's not the main thing that as a church we have been called to do. You know, the main thing that the church has to give is not silver or gold, it is a message. And today we need to recover that confidence in the proclamation of the gospel to meet the greatest need that each and every person has. And that is the the principal thing that as a body of the Lord's people, we have to give to this needy world the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there are many people who say, oh, the church should be doing this. The church should be doing this. My friends, God has given us this commission to preach the gospel because that is the only thing that will meet people's greatest need. And you know, that's what we see here. Now, it's also interesting, we see this evident in Paul's life. Now, the first part of Acts focuses mainly on Peter, and then from Acts 14, the concentration turns to Paul. And uh, Saul, as he was, converted, saved, commissioned by the Lord to be a great missionary to the Gentiles. And let me just recount what happens to him. In Acts 9, he's on the road to Damascus. He hates Christ. He hates all Christians, and he wants to destroy the church. He's a religious man, but he wants to rid the world of Christianity. And yet on that journey, 
he is confronted with the shining and the glory of Jesus Christ. And it brings him to his knees. And he's converted. Now, from that point, what did he do? What's his emphasis in his life? Well, Acts 9, verse 27, same passage. He preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Acts 9, 29, he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. A little later, he's set aside as a missionary. What does he do? When he came to Antioch, Acts 13, he brings to them the word of this salvation that has been sent. In Acts 13, verse 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Acts 14, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, bearing witness to the word of his grace. Acts 16, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, and you will be saved. Acts 17, God who commands all men everywhere to repent. Even when he's taken to the authorities, what does he speak about? You know, Felix, the, the Roman governor, he said that God had given him this message, that Christ Jesus came into the world and that there was a great judgment to come. Now, friends, nothing should ever displace the centrality of that gospel message. Our duty is not to give the world what they want. Our duty is to give the world what we have been commissioned by God to tell them. Well, what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. New life in Christ, conversion, being born again, that is the great thing brought before us in the Bible. It is the unique message of the gospel. It is the unique message of the church dealing with souls of men and women with the cause of their spiritual paralysis. You know, the, the effect of sin, sin, that fatal, ruining thing, that is the cause of our enmity with God. And in this world today, the urgent problem is that men and women don't know God. They don't know how to live. They don't know how to die. It's the central problem that leads to all of the, the misery and the unhappiness and the failure and the agony and the heartbreak of life. And you know, all that this world can offer you can't deal with that. But the gospel of Jesus Christ can. And this message is what we have been given to proclaim, how your soul can be saved, how you can be delivered and made right with God. I wonder if that's what we realize that there is nothing more important for us all than we should be attentive to the gospel of Jesus Christ and more than that, to receive it into our own lives. Aaron was brought to see that and thank God that he was. You see, that is the message. And you know something else that is so wonderful about this? You see, this message is the gospel of power. The gospel of power. This gospel that we are to bring to the lost, to the needy, to the spiritually crippled is a message of power. It is so glorious. Nothing else can do for a person what the gospel of Jesus Christ can do. It is the very power of God. You know, look at the, the pronouncement. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What a stunning declaration. And we say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God, the one who came into the world, who lived, who, who died on the cross and rose again. Why did he do that? To bring redemption, to deal with our greatest problem, our lostness, our estrangement from God. 
And Peter came to this man and said, I'm here to point you to this Jesus. Still the same message today. And this Jesus is still alive and he rules and reigns in the heavens at the right hand of God. And he declares that all power has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And he can deal with us, he can deal with you just as you are in all your need, in all your sin and your spiritual paralysis. He can deal radically with you. And just like Peter, I can't save you. But Jesus can and he is filled with pity and love. He knows your condition. He knows your paralysis. And I'm here to declare to you what he can do. If you believe in him. Look at verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And this miracle is a sign of the, the supernatural power of God. All miracles in the New Testament were signs. Pointers to the very power of God. And uh, the message, of course, was this, that if, if God could heal the body of this man visibly so that from being crippled from his mother's womb, he could now rise up and walk and jump in the air, the same God who can do that can also do wonders for our lives as a whole, for our hearts, for our souls, for our eternal and spiritual good. It was a sign of the inward change which is brought through conversion. You know, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. You know, there are so many other religions, so many other philosophies, so many other slants on the Bible and Jesus Christ, whatever else in this world, but there is nothing like this. The very power of God. And what does that mean? It means it really does change people's lives. Nothing else will do it. The gospel is the only thing that can transform a person's life. And you say, well, how does it do it? Well, when the gospel is believed by a person, they are brought to see the truth of God. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God shines into their hearts. And friend, I know because I've experienced it. Aaron knows because he's experienced it. And many here know it too. They've experienced the transforming power of the gospel. And, you know, if you're here this morning and if you will believe, you will know the very power of God at work in you. You know, in Christ, the sinner doesn't receive a temporary relief, but a total cure. A cure for what? Well, you know, here's my problem, my guilt, my sin. It's always there. How can I possibly come before a holy God? I can't. I'm, I'm utterly paralyzed. I'm without hope. But in his death on the cross, Jesus Christ has dealt with my sin. And God, because of the atoning death of his son, gives complete forgiveness if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ. You know, in his purpose of coming into this world, in his work, God assures you that your sin can be dealt with in Jesus because he has punished the sin of those who believe in him, in Christ, on the cross. He has borne them away once and forever. And you have to receive the message to believe on the Lord Jesus, to bow down before him. And if you don't, you'll never know that truth. But when the gospel is believed, the truth is brought to sight, the truth of Christ. And people who believe are also given that faith by the grace and power of God. It's one of the most wonderful things. The gospel says you must believe. But it is God himself 
who gives that faith. You know, one preacher mentions a, a very famous prayer spoken by an early church father called Augustine. And it says, Lord, grant what you command and command what you will. Let me say it again. Lord, grant what you command and command what you will. So God requires faith. It is through faith that we are saved. Faith is the condition of salvation, but it is also the gift of God. So both the condition and the gift. God requires faith and he gives faith. He demands faith and he bestows faith. And because the gospel that tells us to believe also gives us faith, it is a wonderful thing. You know, we, we can't believe on ourselves. We, we can't. It is impossible. We're, we're spiritually crippled. No man can come of himself. But the God who commands us to believe gives us that faith by his grace, enables us to come. And when the seed of God is planted in the soul at the new birth, it is brought to life and fruition. Look again at verse 7. Immediately, his feet and ankle bones received strength. And so like the change in the man's body, as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, immediately that change comes about. The power of God giving us new life. You know, the gospel doesn't say to you, try harder, do this, do that, and after a while you might make yourself a Christian. No. It is God intervening. God coming in, saving you, changing you, giving you what you need to believe. And that is the very power of God at work in you. And when we're saved, God gives us those, those new desires and the, the ability to live a life that pleases him. You can't live a Christian life without the power of God in work in you. You know, many have tried to sort of be good, tried to follow the teaching of the Bible without the indwelling of the Spirit of God in their hearts, and they fail. You know, they go through the motions, but there's no real change. They know nothing of the grace or power of God in their life. But as soon as we are given grace to believe, God working in us, his power upon us, our lives are changed. We are never the same people again. We have this light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in our hearts. We are new men and women. And you know, this, this man, he received strength and he stood and he walked and he leapt, and he entered into the temple, and he was praising God. That's what the gospel does. It's not just an empty hope. It is the knowledge of sins forgiven, that we can walk with him, and we, we praise him and rejoice in him. The spiritual paralysis is cured, and we are given to live life to the full. Friend, can I ask you this morning, do you know anything of what I'm talking about? You see, Aaron does. Have you ever experienced these things? Is this something that you're aware of in your own life? Or are you like this poor man before his encounter with the power of God and you're living without hope? Miserable, without power, no hope for the future. Whereas the believer has the very power of God at work in their life, the same power that saw Jesus rise from the dead. It is miraculous, it is supernatural, it is divine, poured upon the heart and soul as it was upon this poor man's body. And that is why Aaron himself is a miracle of grace, just as every believer. And as we finish, the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed mighty to save even you. You know, did you notice that the power of Christ transformed this man's life? And what was the result? Verses 8 to 9. 
So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. It's a stunning picture. This poor, wretched man lying there begging day by day for years. And then this transformation. Everybody knew him. Verse 10, they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I don't know about you, but when I was privileged to sit down with Aaron and to hear the way in which God had dealt with him, it amazed me, made me wonder at God's goodness. You know, and what did they see now? They saw this, this man leaping, walking, praising God. What a transformation. And the word happy doesn't do it justice. And notice verse 11. He's holding on to Peter and John. There's a, there's a, sort of, there's a delight there in the lame man. He, he holds on to them. He's holding on to the, their shoulders and their arms. No doubt patting them and thanking them and praising God. You know, holding on to these two beloved apostles who were the, the instruments through which God brought this transformation. You see, being saved in and through the Lord Jesus is the greatest thing in the world. It gives the most miserable, a deep and lasting joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Does it mean that all your troubles will disappear? No. Does it mean that we'll never ever encounter difficulty in this life again? No. But if we have the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the greatest treasure and life and hope. I wonder if you've realized that. You know, God had done something for this man that he would probably never, ever stop talking about till his dying day. You know, every time he would be asked to recount the story of how Jesus changed his life, you can imagine his face would beam with happiness. Well, I was sitting down at the, the temple gate and these two men came along. You know, those wonderful servants of Christ called Peter and John. And, and as they came towards me, I, I hoped that they might throw me a few pennies. But they said that they didn't have silver or gold. But in the name of Jesus Christ, they commanded me to get up and walk. And I felt something happening to me. And my, my feet were strengthened. And I, and I stood up and I held them. And I, I leapt up and down. I was praising God. And, and everybody saw it. And they came gathering round. And then, and then Peter preached a sermon about Jesus to all these people. And they said, don't look at this. And don't look at us, though we did this. It's Christ who's done this miracle. You know, Aaron has been brought to know this Jesus for himself and he has that joy and contentment. And as he said, he's never known anything like it before. Mine, mine, mine. I know thou art mine. To have Christ is the source of true blessing and happiness. The most important thing is to know God through Jesus Christ and for God's gracious power to make you new men and women by his grace to save you and deliver you from the crippling consequences of sin and to bring you to life in Christ. That's what we long for every one of you. So how do I get it? You get it the same way that this man was transformed through the name of Jesus Christ. No other way for that power to enter your heart. Only Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The moment you trust in Christ, the power of God delivers you and saves you from the hopelessness and the lostness which characterizes every unconverted person's life. So the question is, have you got this blessing? Do you know sin's forgiven? Do you know the joy 
that you have been saved. Cast yourself entirely on the Saviour Jesus Christ. It is his power. It is his command. And if you will take heed, if you will hear his voice, he says to you in your helplessness and in your sadness, rise up and walk into salvation and newness of life. And wonderfully, this morning we affirm that Aaron was given ears to hear and now is spiritually walking with the Lord, praising God. And we praise our gracious God for that too. And what he has done for Aaron, he can do for you if you will believe on this Savior who is mighty and saves to the uttermost all that call on his name. May it be for you. May you know this Jesus. Amen. Amen.